For the past three weeks in our Advent series, Behold the Son of Man, we have considered several passages from the book of Matthew in which Jesus claims to be the Son of Man whom the prophet Daniel had foreseen in a dream in 553 BC. According to Daniel's dream, which is recorded in Daniel chapter 7, one who is like a son of man would come in human form with the clouds of heaven. He would defeat and vanquish evil from the earth and he would receive the commendation of God, the ancient of days, to reign with glory and power and praise over a kingdom of people whom he would redeem out of every nation and language of the world. 450 years after Daniel recorded this stirring and hope-igniting dream, Jesus of Nazareth was miraculously born to a virgin who had conceived by the power of God. Upon Jesus' birth in human form, he was swaddled in cloths and laid in the manger of a stable. He steadily grew up in human form, he matured in wisdom and stature. Despite being tempted to sin in every way that is common to man, Jesus abstained from all sin. He perfectly fulfilled every last requirement of God's righteous law. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved others as himself. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he declared and demonstrated to every ear that would hear and every eye that would see that he is the long-awaited Son of Man who had come to rescue and redeem and console God's people. Throughout his ministry, he taught and served and worked miracles with great power. And he stated things that really irked the Jewish religious establishment such as this he stated that he was going to destroy the temple and in its place in only three days time he would rebuild a better way for God's people to draw near to God as we come to our passage this morning Matthew chapter 26 verses 62 through 66 as we come into this passage Jesus has just been betrayed into the angry hands of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, is the, uh, the, the, the leadership council of the Jews, comprised of both Sadducees and Pharisees. And at this point in time, their power and popularity was dwindling on account of Jesus' widespread influence. In the passage we're about to read, Jesus is on the stand in a makeshift courtroom and he's being questioned about his comments about the temple and other things by the high priest Caiaphas in front of the Sanhedrin. I'd invite you to read, uh, to follow along as I read Matthew 26 verses 62 through 66. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, 
I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At first glance, at first pass, this might seem a strange series of verses to briefly, briefly consider this morning when we celebrate Jesus' birth. But, but, now hear this. Apart from Jesus' death, Jesus' birth loses its significance. As one pastor succinctly put it this week, the world is fine with a baby in a manger who grew up to show us how to live. But the world is not fine with a baby in a manger who grew up in order to die to save sinners. As Jesus is on the stand being examined by Caiaphas in verse 62, several corrupt witnesses have just testified against Jesus. And verse 63 tells us that Jesus hasn't tried to defend himself. Caiaphas then demands that Jesus state plainly whether or not he's been claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah who'd been promised of God ever since the Garden of Eden. And in 64, Jesus affirms that he is indeed the Christ. You have said so, Caiaphas. And then, using the exact language of Daniel 7.13, Jesus tells Caiaphas that from this moment forward, Jesus is in the courtroom from that moment forward, he, the Son of Man, would be seated at the right hand of power, accompanied with the clouds of heaven. This statement enrages Caiaphas, and he tears his priestly robes, crying out, blasphemy in 65, and we should take note of this response. And there's a reason, because many people today, whether, whether Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or critics of Christianity, many people today insist that Jesus never claims to be God anywhere in Scripture. That's exactly what he's doing right here. When he says to Caiaphas, you will see me seated at the right hand of power. He is claiming equal position and honor and authority as God because only God can sit at the right hand of God. He's not only saying that. He's saying that at that moment, he may be on the stand in Caiaphas' earthly courtroom. 
But the next time Caiaphas would see him, Caiaphas would be on the stand in Jesus' heavenly courtroom. For he, the Son of Man, will be seated right beside the Ancient of Days on that last day when God judges the peoples of earth. And Caiaphas will pass through that judgment. After Jesus makes this claim, the enraged Caiaphas turns to the Sanhedrin in 66 and he, and he asks, what further witnesses do we need in this court case? What is your verdict concerning this blasphemy? And the Sanhedrin, of course, answers, death. He deserves death for these statements. Now, you know, at least the majority of you know how this ends. If we were to keep reading into the next chapter of Matthew, we would read of Jesus' crucifixion, which would be carried out by another significant figure from Daniel's prophetic dream, the Roman Empire, the fourth beast. But this whole scene, this whole scene toward the end of, book of the book of Matthew, it begs some questions, okay? First, what's happening <laughs> What is happening? Daniel's dream, if you remember back to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's dream didn't end with the Son of Man dying on a cross. It ended with the Son of Man rising to power. So what is happening here? Why is Jesus so silent in verse 63? Why doesn't he defend himself and exalt himself and overpower the Sanhedrin? And probably one of the biggest questions that is begged from this, why on earth are we talking about this on Christmas morning? Well, again, apart from Jesus' death, Jesus' birth loses its significance. As John Wesley's famous hymn so rightly reminds us, and hark the herald angels sing, Mild, Jesus laid his glory by. He was born that we would no more die. He was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give us second birth. Celebrating Jesus' earthly birth with nativity scenes and songs and feasts and gift giving, it's all appropriate but only when we remember the reason the Son of Man came to earth born in our lowly likeness. The reason he lived a sin-free life despite facing every temptation. The reason he, in the courtroom of the Sanhedrin, silently resolved to be hung on a cross it's because dying was the whole point of his coming. By dying, the Son of Man would make his people, the people from Daniel's dream, the people from every nation and language of the earth who were to enter his kingdom, by dying, he would make us fit to do so. He would purify us so that we can enter that kingdom. By dying, the Son of Man would disarm Satan, sin, and death. And also by dying, the Son of Man would set into motion a second advent 
when he would return in power with the clouds of heaven to vanquish Satan, sin, and death forever and to usher into his forever kingdom a purified people who are longing for him. Let me consolidate all of that into three brief statements. We've only about 45 minutes left. It's three brief statements. This is why Oaks Church has gathered this morning. This is why we joyfully celebrate today. Number one, Jesus has made us fit to enter his forever kingdom. Number two, Jesus has disarmed Satan, sin, and death. And number three, Jesus' second advent is on the horizon, like on the literal horizon. Number one, Jesus has made us fit. He has made us suitable and qualified to enter his forever kingdom. It's already done. He has made us. Brothers and sisters, let me just take two seconds to remind us all of what his forever kingdom entails. Listen, Jesus' kingdom under his kingly rule is a future reality for all who are in Christ by repentant faith. And it is a future reality that is so whole and so full and so good and so glorious that our minds cannot right now fully comprehend it. More marvelous than the Garden of Eden, Jesus' forever kingdom will contain no possibility of sin. Not even the possibility. No brokenness, no sickness, no longing, no discord, no disruption. And for the many of us who face these sorts of things on, on days like this, a kingdom that will have no pain in it, no betrayal. No isolation, no loneliness. Our bodies will be resurrected like the touchable flesh and bone body, glorified of Jesus. And we will worship him in the splendor of his undoing all that we have broken with our sin. We will, in that kingdom, we will travel and cultivate the world together. We will laugh and run and play and fellowship around the table of God's family made perfect. This is the kingdom that will be as real, as touchable, as tasteable, and as beautiful as our senses can handle. And in Daniel's prophetic dream, before the gates of this glorious kingdom are opened, Every human being that has walked the face of the earth, you and I and everyone, will go before God the Ancient of Days, who, with the Son of Man at his right hand, the Ancient of Days will open the books, as is so clearly prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, and in those books are recorded our every thought and word and attitude and action. And the Son of Man will be at the right hand of the Ancient of Days who will do this in order to determine who 
is worthy to enter the forever kingdom that has been established by the Son of Man. Who is worthy? And here's the good news about repentant faith in Christ. When the Ancient of Days comes to your page in that book and mine, guess what the Ancient of Days will read out loud? Something to the tune of this from Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead in your sins. And you were not worthy to enter this forever kingdom. But I, the ancient of days, I have made you alive and worthy by the merits of my son. I have forgiven you of all your trespasses because I have nailed your record of debt to the cross with my son. And in him, I have also triumphed over the rulers and authorities of this evil world. That's a paraphrase of Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, and it leads into point number two. Jesus, by being born, living, dying, rising, Jesus has disarmed Satan, sin, and death. Look, today would be grim if we were to end on this note. Jesus was born to die. Go your separate ways and, and try to enjoy the day. He was born to be put to death, yes. But he was born to be put to death in order to defeat Satan, sin, and death by raising to life over them. Nothing says victory like the Son of Man not staying down even though the forces of darkness had taken their best shot. The first advent of Christ that we celebrate today is so much more than a holiday because the first advent of Christ marks the beginning of the end of all Satan's influence Sin's destruction and death's sting. The first advent of Christ has removed from us the penalty and power of sin done with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there isn't a drop of condemnation if you are in him. And the second advent of Christ that is coming it will remove us from the presence of sin. So the penalty and power of sin, done. There is no more penalty over us in Christ and it does not have power over us. And soon enough, with the second advent of Jesus, even the presence of sin, the possibility of sin will be wiped from the slate. Number three, Jesus' second advent is on the horizon, literally, after Jesus' human birth, after his sinless life, after his substitutionary death and victorious resurrection, he ascended upon the clouds of heaven, returning to the right hand of God the Father, just as recorded in Matthew 1, or no, chapter uh, 16 and Acts chapter 1. His ascension with the clouds of heaven was the fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13, when one who was like a son of man, would be presented before the ancient of days and then to the son of man would be given a people from every nation and language who had been redeemed into his forever kingdom. When Jesus ascended with the clouds of heaven, 
after his victorious resurrection, he did so having paid in full the sins of all those who would be called his people. He ascended upon the clouds of heaven and he told his disciples what he tells us today. Brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on the horizon. Like literally, keep your eyes on the horizon. Because he said, I will descend again the same way that I am ascending now with the clouds, with the clouds of heaven. Brothers and sisters, believe this this day. Commemorate, celebrate the first advent, but oh, with hopeful yearning and joyful confidence, look forward to that second advent. Advent isn't done. It's not done. It is still to be fully fulfilled, and Jesus' second advent is on the horizon. So, Three things you can put in your pocket today as you celebrate. Jesus has made us fit to enter his forever kingdom. And if you have not by repentant faith believed in the resurrected son of God, I would urge you, I would adjure you, I would, I would admonish you to believe. Put your faith in him. Repent of sin. Follow after him. Jesus has disarmed Satan's sin and death. There is now no temptation that has seized us that is not common to man. Jesus provides the way out of every single temptation. Death has lost its sting and Satan is on a leash. Thirdly, Jesus' second advent is on the horizon. We have a lot to celebrate. We have a lot to be hopeful in. Would you pray with me? And then we are going to stand together and sing some more. And kids, I will tell you, let us sing through one song and then you can come up and join us for the last song, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed in our hearts, in our homes, in this building, in our celebrations, in the moments of fellowship we hope to share at the end of this gathering over a, something sweet and a, and a little bit of coffee just to greet one another with the joy of the Lord. Lord, let your name be hallowed in this place every day, including today, when we celebrate the first advent, the fulfilled promises, all the promises of our God find their yes in Jesus. Jesus, you came, you were born, you grew up, you lived, you died, you rose, you ascended, that we might trust you as the way, the truth, the life, the final Complete atonement, propitiation for sin. We can and are, we can be and are without condemnation because of Jesus. And we greatly anticipate his return. We greatly anticipate it. Let our celebrations today be seasoned with our anticipation of his second advent. For your glory, for our joy, for the worship of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.